today on the podcast, we have Anne Catherine Dern. She is a German film composer and YouTuber. She's mostly known for her scores to Fearless, which is on Netflix, The Claws Family, also on Netflix, and Help, I Shrunk My Parents. I'm excited to talk to you about growing a YouTube channel and immigrating to the U.S. So welcome to the pod. Hi, nice to be here. So the first question I have for you is, are you from a musical family? And what was the role of music in the early years of your life? Or how did you get started doing music for media? Yeah, I'm not from a musical family, which okay. kind of made early music education a bit of a struggle because that was not a priority in our household. It was right. more like sports and engineering. And okay. so <laughs> not not arts. Um, I was the only one. And um, I mean, music was always really important before I could even speak. I always wanted to just, you know, hear songs instead of stories and stuff like that. But um, I remember specifically we had like a little soprano recorder in one of the drawers in our living room. Um, that was the only musical instrument we had and um, just some leftover from someone's childhood. And like, a beginner's book and the nice thing with flutes is that you can I couldn't read obviously so I couldn't really teach myself how to read sheet music but with flutes there are always um, like little drawings of when you yeah. do this with your fingers then it's that note right there and so that's kind of how I taught myself how to play the instrument and how to read music like I didn't know what I was playing technically but since I knew most of the songs, the children's songs in the book, I could also kind of figure out how rhythm worked. And, you know, when you're a child, you just figure these things out. Now it's like, mm -hmm. now I'm old and I can't figure stuff out anymore that easily. But, you know, when you're like three, it's, you know. You got everything. nothing better to do, right? Yeah, we didn't yeah, have you YouTube when we were kids. You know, yeah, now you can, you can just, just YouTube everything. <laughs> <laughs> you can just get obsessed with stuff. And it's not like I had anything else to do, so... Yeah. And then um, there was another book with just empty staves. And so I was like listening to stuff on the radio and then just writing down the notes of those songs. I think one of the ones I wrote down, for example, was Killing Me Softly because <laughs> that was okay. playing on the radio a lot. Nice. And I knew my mom liked it. And so I was like, well, let's try to remember that one. And then one day I was just playing that and she came into the room and was like, what is happening? how do you know this song? And I was like, well, it's on the radio. And I wrote it down. She's like, how do you know how to write that down? I don't understand. <laughs> and so fantastic. that's kind of, that's kind of when, like when I was five or something, they were like, well, maybe she should get lessons. And then it was just recorder lessons, group lessons okay. with other kids, you know, it, it wasn't anything fancy. And then as I grew older, I kind of started to be like, hey, I want to learn piano as well and guitar and I want to play in a band and I want to sing in a choir and I want to do all these things. And so I wanted to play the real flute, not just the recorder. Right. Um, and so that's kind of how it grew from there. And then I became interested in film music and then it kind of <laughs> developed into that obsession. What sparked your, your interest with uh, wanting to get into doing music for film? Was there like a particular movie or anything that kind of 
I mean, I grew up mostly, like my childhood took place in the 90s mostly. So it was a lot of Alan Menken, of course, a lot of Disney mm -hmm. songs. But I didn't know that that was a job yet. So to me, that was just something that existed. But I, I remember it was probably 2001 or something when Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter came out around the same time. And that was kind of the first time that I paid attention to the instrumental music in a in a movie and not just songs. And I was like, I wonder if this is a job. I wonder if you can buy that stuff. I, I want that music. And then um, I went to the CD store because, you know, no internet. Yeah, they had a whole soundtrack section. I was like, this is a thing. And so I started <laughs> to research and I'm from a small town in Germany. So there wasn't a lot of um, resources. The internet wasn't, I mean, it was there, but it wasn't you know, something Accessible. that you could just, yeah, I mean, it was dial up. And then if you would, I mean, Google didn't exist. So, you know, how do you even find stuff? Um, so yeah, it was messy, but yeah, I started to like find books through our library. They would order books in from other cities for me on film music and stuff. So I would slowly kind of get into it. And then by the time I graduated from high school, um, the internet was more of a thing and I could find more information. And you went to a conservatory, is that right? Yes, I went to a conservatory in the Netherlands. Netherlands, okay. And what was your primary instrument? Uh, it was composition. Okay. It was specifically composition for film and TV. They had like two different composition. They had like concert composition in a way or autonomous composition. And then they had composition for film and theater. Nice. And then how did you immigrate to the U.S.? Well, during my studies in the Netherlands, I kind of, you know, already thought about the future and was like, well, where do I go when I graduate from here? Because there's no work here and there's, you know, a little bit of work in Germany, but where do I go? And so the options were London or Los Angeles for me right. to do what I wanted to do. So I was like, well, let's try Los Angeles first because London is kind of the safer option because it's closer and it's Europe. At the time it was EU, so it was very easy to go there. But LA was kind of this far away thing. And I was like, well, if I'm going to do that, I should do that young while you know I have no other responsibilities. Yeah, take risks. Yeah, take now is the time. You're in your 20s. Mm -hmm. um, and if it doesn't work out, you come back and then you go to London. Um, London is still going to be there. And so I came over as a student first uh, okay. to do the UCLA extension program. I mean, I also applied to USC and they actually accepted me, but I could not afford that. As a yeah. European, just the prices of education in this country are mm. just... Californians can't afford USC either, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah it seems like no one, yeah. unless you inherited a lot or you get a full scholarship, nobody can afford it. But so during my studies in the Netherlands, I had worked several jobs to save up money for the trip and to you know live here. I had informed myself how expensive it is. So yeah. I did come prepared, but then... USC was like, yeah, so that's going to be $45,000. And I was like, I don't have that. <laughs> right. I have barely enough to go to UCLA and survive for like nine months. That's it. So that's how I came over here. And yeah, then I got uh, pretty quickly, like six months in or something, I was allowed to start doing internships through UCLA, paid internships. Nice. Which was very welcomed because, mm -hmm. you know, I, I did not have a lot of money. 
And I knew I was going to run out of money in the very foreseeable future. And um, yeah, I did that at CineSamples. And then they kind of took me over as a part-time worker and then a full-time worker. And then I graduated and switched visas. And then it just kind of, I just stayed. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's a good origin story. So when you were working for CineSamples, then you graduated. Did you, you switch to a like assistantship or like a work visa from a student visa? And then you started assisting composers, right? Yeah, so Cine Samples at the time, they're not there anymore, but they were at Sonic Fuel Studios with okay. also their sister company, Hollywood Scoring. So through Hollywood Scoring, I also got to work on a bunch of video games already because like one of their first gigs was League of Legends. Nice. I had no idea yeah. what that game was. I just started <laughs> and they were like, we have a session coming up. Can you do a session prep and this and that and coordinate? I was like, okay, I don't know what this is about. <laughs> so I just kind of stumbled into that. And then they also ended up working on Halo, which they let me work on as well. And, you know, doing mock-ups for other composers. They had this whole service going. But so one of the mock-ups I did was for the owner of that studio, Christopher Leonard's. And um, he was doing a thing with Alan Menken. And so the mock-up was actually for Alan Menken, but it ran through Chris. And nice. so I did that and they were really happy about it. And so this was like after two years or something of being down there, being general studio assistant and doing sampling and mock-ups and stuff. Um, and then Chris was like, well, this show is coming up. Do you want to come downstairs and work with me on that? And with, with Alan as well. And I was like, yeah, of course. So that was right. my first additional music gig. And we did two whole seasons together on that. And then... From there, I kind of went freelance, you know, freelance assisting, so to speak. And then, you know, they kind of recommended me to Bill Ross and his assistant. So I did some orchestration work there and tech work. Because coming out of Cine Samples, obviously a lot of studios were like, oh, she knows about contact and she knows about sample libraries right now. She's, you know, because I was also doing customer support, so I knew everything. Yeah. Every problem that you could possibly encounter, I knew how to solve it. I got to add an answer for it somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, that's a great skill set now because everyone Absolutely. who ever had a problem with one of their Vienna Ensemble Pro machines and contact and all of that, I was like, I everyone. know how to solve it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's wonderful. Literally everyone. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and I also knew Pro Tools and Cubase and Logic, and I also knew Sibelius and Finale at the time. So I was like, I can help with everything. Nice. And so, yeah, different studios just started to recommend me to each other. So I um, also ended up at Steve Jablonski's studio, printing stems, doing Pro Tools work orchestration prep, all that stuff, session prep. So yeah, and I, I ended up assisting Pinar Toprak for a couple of months and interned at Hans Zimmer's studio and um, ended up with Klaus Bedelt, who had me for additional music again. And then it kind of transitioned more and more into just writing and mock-ups and more writing, basically. That's what you love to do most is the actual writing. Yeah, I mean, that was always the goal. <laughs> the, the goal was becoming a full-time writer and just making my living with that. Sampling, it was good to know about that, but I mean, it's sampling. It's, <laughs> it's tedious. Yeah. It's very tedious. It's, oh my God. I mean, 
the chopping isn't even the worst thing for me. It's <laughs> right. the looping, finding the loop points oh, and, yeah. and tuning when you can't even hear the pitch anymore. You're just hearing all of the harmonics on top and you're just like, mm -hmm. I don't know what I'm hearing anymore. I'm, I'm physically ill from this now. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Or timing samples, just listening to the same row of round robins over and over again. I, People underestimate how much work goes into a sample library. And I'm having made a couple, I was like, yeah, this is really good to know. And right. we don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, we can just buy them. Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, totally now I great. just like to buy. I don't want to make it anymore, please. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> well, I love that you can see the stepping stones from coming over here and you're in the right spot, in the, in the right area. And then you kind of met someone through either school or work and that kind of led you to the next stepping stone in your career. So how did you go from being an assistant to slowly kind of getting your own gigs and then building a team? I believe you have a few people working for you. Is that right? Yes. Um, it kind of is a project to project thing that I hire them in on a per project basis. I think I was, it was like 2016. I was coming out of my um, internship at remote control and I really wanted to still be hired as an assistant, actually. I thought that's the way to go. If I want to work on the productions that I want to work on, then I have to assist someone for like six years and then they're going to help me out. And the manager there sat down with me because you have these exit interviews. Mm. And he was like, looking at your resume and all the things you've done over the past three years, I don't think you need that. I think you need to go out there now and do your own thing. And so a day after I was done, Sacred Tiger, the studio of Henry Jackman called and wanted me to intern there as well. And that was the first time I turned down because I was like, you know what? That manager was right. I need to go. I need to find myself an agent. I need to really go to events and really put myself out there and make stuff and just find my own work instead of constantly working on other people's career yeah. and, you know, just kind of waiting for stuff to happen. And so around the same time, Klaus Bedelt called me and was like, I need additional music. And it went so well. We worked on an animated movie that he and his business manager were like, well, we have a bunch of other stuff in the pipeline that we need someone to do. Um, cause he was kind of like semi-retiring. He works, like he founded a tech company now and, um, works okay. more in film distribution, but he was like, I still have all these clients. I still have all this work. I want to close my studio. I don't want employees anymore. I don't want this whole management thing anymore, but you clearly want it. And you write very similar music. You, you know, I don't need to supervise you. So how about you build up your own studio with your own people and then we just funnel our projects through you. And then we're the producers, you're the composer, you know, and just do this thing because, you know, we don't really want to be that actively involved anymore. So it was really, uh, I came in literally on the last project where he had an in-house team and a studio. And then, you know, we got along so well that he basically just gave me everything he had. That's amazing and timing. Yeah. It was amazing timing and also uh, there were other people he could have chosen. So it was really fortunate that he picked me to be that person. 
Um, cause he knew he doesn't have to supervise me. He doesn't have to do anything when I'm involved cause I'm a very organized person myself. So yeah, that's kind of how that happened. And then a lot of short films that I had scored on the side while I was assisting started to pay off. Like all those directors from five years prior were now <laughs> doing their first feature film or, nice. Um, had recommended me to someone else who was doing their first feature film. So I was basically 50% working on my own stuff that just was born out of recommendations from other filmmakers and other composers. And then 50% was pretty much Klaus stuff and his clients and more or less the stuff where I got proper budgets with proper, you know, live recording and everything, you know, because I was getting gigs that were technically too big for me at the time. But since he was vouching for me, it was okay. Nice. Um, and then I would just build up my own, you know, relationships on the side, scoring short films further and, you know, scoring their first features, second features. And then, you know, they would start getting picked up by Netflix and stuff. So, um, yeah, it just kind of naturally progressed into just me having enough work that I didn't have to assist anymore. Mm -hmm. That's really yeah, cool. This industry is so trust-based, like you're looking for trustworthy people who do good work and they're hard to find. Yeah. So definitely. he found you and he was like, okay, we have to keep her somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. All right. Right. So what are some bad recommendations you hear in your profession? Oh God. Um, <laughs> I mean, specifically through YouTube, I've seen so many bad tech recommendations. Hmm. So many um, semi-professionals or amateurs that are very loud on the internet saying you need this or you need that or this is how that's done. And that's partially how my YouTube channel was born because I was seeing all these people just saying stuff where I was like, no, that would get you fired if you do that. <laughs> don't, don't do that. Don't deliver like this. Any that's examples? Not, any example um, for people out there, don't do this. I, I saw a terrible video about Pro Tools session prep, how you send a Pro Tools session to a scoring stage. And I had done that professionally for all the studios that, you know, would have me. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that video and I was like, this is terrible. This is, if you send this to Abbey Road or Air or any other scoring stage, the engineer is not going to be your friend. All right. <laughs> These people are going to hate you. That's, yeah, a lot of people don't know how to send stems or like the correct yeah. way to do certain things. That, yeah. that makes sense. All of that stuff. Or people running around saying you need the latest, latest sample libraries and stuff. And then people were always like, your mock-up sounds so great. And I was like, yeah, it's that library from 10 years ago. They're <laughs> right. like, what? Because yeah, you know it super well and you know exactly, exactly how to you know get the most out of it. That I, I mean, we were talking about that with Chris, Christopher C last week. Yeah. And it's just, it's one of those things that like everyone wants to be the first on the, on the internet to talk about the new cool thing. Cause they want to be sort of at the forefront of like tech or like new gear or whatever, but it's usually, yeah. Like I know you've featured uh, like the Olympus Symphonic Choir. I remember talking to David, mm -hmm. David Cadell and he was hitting me up about wanting to get it. Cause he was doing some work with you. I mean, that, that library came out so long ago and that's cool that you're, yeah. you know, still using it, you know, even in combination with other vocal libraries and stuff. It's cool to see. I, I know you, uh, you called us out on, uh, I think, uh, was it the CC 11? Oh my God, people, please put CC 11 into your libraries, please uh, don't lock it away. 
<laughs> that's the one thing. That's my one pet peeve. I'm just like, don't lock CCs in your script. And then, because technically I know how to go into the backend and add the modulator and just have it in mm -hmm. there. But if it's locked in the script, it's not going to work. And so it's like, ah, don't. Or I think generally some of the CCs were inconsistent. Like sometimes CC7 would control volume, but then other times with, the f I think it was specifically with the phrase builder. That was, it's so... I mean, every phrase builder that I've ever worked with is unwieldy. So, yes. you know, I, I'm very understanding of, of that. But yeah, some of the CCs were just weirdly inconsistent. And I'm just like, but I want to be able to copy paste from here to there. And mm. now I can't do that. Yeah, so we got an update. It's just me whining. We're updating it. It's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be pretty cool. We've learned a few things since 2011, 2012 yeah. when it came out. So, yeah, we got, we got yeah. some work to do. But it's one of my favorites still because I think as far as epic choir goes, I think that's still my go-to because I have so many now because developers send me all their stuff all the time. And this is still my go-to. Even the ones that are called like the epic choir library are mm -hmm. not quite as epic as Olympus, I think. And the phrase builder is still one of the best ones out there, I think. Um, oh. it, it can use an update, but I think sound-wise and timing-wise, because that, to me, is always the difficult thing with phrases and syllables, that, that they're badly timed. And I feel like with your library, it's not such a big issue. So We appreciate that. I saw that you used it a little bit in your How to Turn Your Vocals into a Choir video, which is your your big hit on YouTube, your YouTube channel has been exploding. Um, so you want to talk about that video and growing your channel a little bit? Uh, sure. I mean, that video, I made two videos. One is just about turning my own vocal into a choir. And then yeah. I actually did a whole video. Uh, I got permission from a production. It's a movie that's not out yet. Uh, it's a horror movie called Devil. And so it's a religious horror for which I needed a lot of phrase builders. So yeah. guess what was heavily used in that score? <laughs> and so what I did on that movie was I um, recorded four classical singers and I had them overdub several times and move around in the room to kind of simulate a choir. And then in order to fill up the sound, I would use Olympus and Voxes, the phrase builders, to kind mm -hmm. of get as close as possible to those phrases that they were singing, the actual Latin phrases. And then layer it into that and then you get a full like 60 person choir but with technically just four life singers and so i did a similar video with just my voice um that i did on a um, smaller project where i was basically just singing and then layering my vocals and then processing them a certain way to get this ethereal enya type sound but so those two videos just kind of exploded the channel because apparently people are very interested in vocals, I guess. I don't yeah. know. Because the think channel had the been around. Yeah. Mm. I mean, especially the bedroom composer who has limited resources. This is a really good, really good way to go about it, I guess. Well, and people were trapped in their, their homes, their apartments. So they were trying to make music by themselves. And they're yeah. like, well, how do I make a choir sound in my bedroom? Yeah, but that was that was one of the ones and the orchestration videos really took off because I just wanted to I don't really want to make comprehensive videos about certain topics like orchestration, instrumentation, because I think there are people that know way more about that than I do. 
Same thing with counterpoint. Like, yeah, I've learned counterpoint, but I should not be making a video series about counterpoint. There are better channels, better resources to learn that. It's too comprehensive. Yeah, um, it's big. Or like harmony and all that stuff. I'm just like, uh, I can give you an overview over the scales, but you know, <laughs> it's not gonna be some ten part series about harmony. Because yeah. I mean, there there are limits to what I'm willing to do for the channel. I yeah. like that your I like that your orchestration videos are very tactical and practical though. So they're giving you, you know, five hacks. And that's basically like you can put this to use today if you're writing music. Yeah. You know. And I, I think that's really cool. That was the thought behind that. I was like, well, I can't put a whole four year orchestration course into my YouTube channel. But I figured if I just go in and just give five hacks that I've learned over the years that people can use right now then that's going to be helpful too. So why not do this random thing that, you know, maybe people are interested in or maybe not. And then people were actually very interested in it. So they're just a yeah. lot of work because I always try to find music examples and sheet music <sighs> examples right. where I can show this. Mm -hmm. And then every time I say something, I was like, where have I encountered that? And then I need to just go through all these symphonies and just be like, where is it? I know it was in here somewhere. So. Digging through textbooks. And <laughs> I know. Just, <laughs> did I say something wrong? I don't know. Did I imagine this? Yeah, I think the sharing sharing stuff that you know works for you, and especially if you've used it on professional projects, it's like, well, this worked for me, and I could show you how, how I did it. Because I think people try to maybe reach out and teach things that they're not qualified to do. Like you mentioned, I think it's better to just know like this works for me. I don't know if this is like the right way, but hey, I think this is a cool thing and maybe it'll help you versus I think people try to come off as more of a professional in a field that maybe they're not. Yeah. Quite I a... always try to give disclaimers. If I'm talking about something that isn't necessarily my job, I either bring in a guest to talk about it. Like with my orchestration three-part thing, I brought in my actual orchestrator because I was like, well, I know stuff, but not like you. You do mm -hmm. this every day, eight hours a day. So you're going to know more stuff about this than I do. Or I would not confidently make a video about sampling at this point because I haven't done it in several years. So I'm pretty sure stuff has changed. So I would probably also bring in a person for that. Mm -hmm. um, I have made a video. <laughs> it's coming probably next week. How to fix sample libraries and contact in the back end. And just Spicy. going into the back end, I was like, oh, God, I don't remember what these things were for. I mean, it's a very 90s back end to yeah. begin with. I mean, <laughs> contact is not the pretty. most. Yeah, it's not pretty. It works, but it's not pretty. But I was looking at some of these features and I was like, oh, I don't remember. I have to read the manual now in order to talk about this thing and this thing and this thing, because I, I remember using it, but it was so many years ago that I don't necessarily remember what that was for or how that worked. So that's coming up. Or tomorrow I have a video coming up about compression, and I'm very hesitant to talk about oh, I know. That's going to bring out uh, watch the comment <laughs> section oh. on that one. Oh. All the hater boys. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're gonna lot of like, well, technically, that's well, actually, what you should be like. That's the thing. Like when when you start talking about those sort sort of topics, or even like what you were mentioning about the counterpoint, then you get all the guys who've been going yeah. to music school forever. Like, well, actually, blah 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 blah. It's like. That's also why I'm so hesitant about these things because people really want me to talk about it because I have kind of a more accessible way, less technical way of talking about these things, and yeah. I'm not really 
making such a big deal out of it, but I got a lot of pushback from some classical com composition and orchestration teachers on the orchestration videos, for example. They were like, you're oversimplifying this. And I'm like, it's a 10-minute YouTube video. Of course, I'm oversimplifying <laughs> right. it. <laughs> right. Like, it's not, like, yeah, if you really want to learn this, you should probably go to school or get a private teacher or mm -hmm. spend a lot of time reading books. But in the sense of a 10-minute YouTube video, this is... You know, it's just supposed to get people started and get people interested. Yeah. And then maybe they see, oh, it's actually not that difficult. So maybe I can actually learn this, you know. So this is kind of, I also was very hesitant about that Mac versus PC video that oh, I made. Oh, yeah. Because people are so passionate about that. And I'm using both. So I don't even have strong opinions about it. I'm currently <laughs> leaning more PC, but... It might change in the future. I don't yeah, know. Both are cool. It just really depends on what works for you. Like Mac is great. I mean, I started on a Mac and it's just everything's pretty much yeah. just kind of plug and play. It's, there's not like once you start getting into wanting to customize stuff or like switching out the RAM, that gets a little tricky. Or like when you buy RAM and then the, there's a new iMac that comes out and then that RAM doesn't work for it. Like that's where it's like, <laughs> yeah. OK, maybe I should just get a PC so I can just like swap it out at any time. So that's where it's like, OK, what do you yeah. need? If, if you're just like, I just want to hop on and just do music real quick, then cool. You know, then maybe a Mac is yeah. good. But then, yeah, that's a whole nother that opens up a whole nother uh, can, I know, of, can all the, of beans. All those fanboys come out or my my sample library videos. People were just asking what I have in my template. And so I mm -hmm. made a bunch of videos going, this is what I have in my template. And they were like, yeah, but what about all these other libraries? What about this library? What about that? What about why do you not have this? Why do you not need that? I disagree with you all that right. this library is good. And I'm like, that's your per So don't use it. You're like, you can make your own YouTube channel and talk yeah. about your favorite X, Y, and Z library and let me talk about mine on mine. Thanks. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm just, there are certain topics, sample libraries, uh, mixing, classical music, and Mac versus PC that just, everyone has opinions about this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and everyone, everyone needs to be very loud about their opinions about this. And I start every single one of my videos with the disclaimer, this mm -hmm. is just what I like. Maybe you don't. And that's yeah. fine. <laughs> so would you say that educating in public and composing in public, showing what you're doing basically on, on the internet, is that a net positive for you? In general, yes. It's funny how you know, you get 90% positive comments, but then 10% negative comments are the ones that you're focused on. Yeah. So I always need to remember that our brains are naturally wired to focus on those negative comments, but the overwhelming majority is actually very enthusiastic about it. Mm -hmm. And I'm already emotionally prepared that tomorrow when the compression video comes out, even though I put all the disclaimers in the front saying I'm not a mixing engineer, yeah. there will be people that will come out and be like, she's full of shit. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay. Yeah, yes. there's always going to be someone who's going to who's going to be, you know, saying that you don't know what you're talking about or, you know, it's just like whatever, man. Like we do have comments that just stick in your brain for a long time. One one guy just commented on Craig's video from a couple of years ago and he just said, "You talk too much." So now we just say that to each other. <laughs> yeah. You talk too much. And it's like I'm I'm doing a walkthrough video trying to show you how to use the product. I mean, I, I, and then I we definitely... have like appearance related comments that are just mean and yeah. <laughs> like I, I don't mind talking about this because I've heard it my whole life, but some guy said he knows 
what he's talking about. I get it. I got a big nose. It's okay. You know, I've heard these <laughs> comments my whole jokes. life. Yeah. yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> really? Like, of, like, say anything else you want. But it's like, really? Like, that's the I, only thing you have to say. You know, it's I just, just like, don't understand. If I watch a video on YouTube and I think I disagree with what's in the video and I don't like it, I just move on. Right. Who takes time out of their day to go into the comment section and be like, well, here's what I think. I'm yeah. like, I don't have the time in my day to just leave negative comments on every, just move on. There's yeah. like a whole sidebar with other videos that <laughs> yeah. you can click on. Click yeah. on those. It's fine. You don't have to like, like my content. No. I need to stop and say how much you <laughs> suck right now. That's what yeah. I need to do. Yeah. I have, this is very, very important special. to me. Yeah, there are there are people that even write private messages on social media about mm. why I lost them as a subscriber. And I'm like, oh, yeah. look, man, why did you need to tell me? I don't because and, and then it's usually stuff that I'm not going to change. Like some there's a handful of people that get really offended when I drop an F bomb occasionally in my videos. And I'm like, I'm a grown woman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You are grown people. So I don't make content for children. And sometimes my content warrants an F-bomb. It's usually just one. Sometimes I bleep it out. Sure. Sometimes I have a beer on screen. Sometimes I have a glass of wine. Some topics just warrant a little bit of profanity. And if yeah. you can't handle that, maybe my channel is not for you. Yeah, it's like this isn't like a children's network that you're like catering to it's just like hey like this is me you know like i mean there's different people on youtube who their styles are different some are yeah. a little bit more brash or maybe throw a few back or you know whatever it's like that's your thing you know it's like anyone yeah. who's coming to your channel is coming for you and your personality and what you do and it's like that's who i make the content for it's not for yeah. everyone under the sun it's like it just doesn't yeah. work that way and i mean i I think part of the appeal is that I am mostly myself on camera. I mean, obviously it's edited and mm -hmm. you know, there are things I edit out that I'm thinking are a bit too crass for <laughs> any audience. But, you know, I think people know if you pretend to be someone on camera or if you're just yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's also a good way to connect with your audience. You just find like-minded people. And I think so far it's been a mostly positive experience with the occasional negative. I don't know why sometimes people feel like everything needs to be controversial. Um, you know, there's been one or two moments on VI control that have escalated. There have mm -hmm. been one or two moments on Facebook about my videos that have escalated some comments, but at least with the comments, I have control over it. Like yeah. if someone just leaves a really insulting comment, I just delete it. I don't even reply. I'm just like, that's the worst thing you can do to a person. They will take time out of their day <laughs> to really formulate a really long rant about you and you just mm -hmm. hit delete. <laughs> yeah, it's we like usually joke about it. We joke about it first and then we delete it. Like, hey, check this out. Yeah. We laugh. All right, gone. <laughs> it's like... We've all been in Facebook arguments and then at the end of the day, the person decides to delete the post and you're mm. just like, the entire conversation is gone and mm. it's so frustrating. So I was like, that's how I'm going to be handling this. You're not going to get a reply from me. You're not going to get a reaction from me. I will just hit the delete button because it's my channel and I get to moderate the comment section. Yep. Get off exactly. my lawn. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. Have you had success with shorts, YouTube shorts? Um, I wouldn't say successful, like they get a couple thousand views, but not, not like the long form content. Cause I've, 
I started doing TikTok a couple months ago. Okay. I still don't understand that platform. I think it's for younger people than me. Yeah, same, same here. <laughs> but then I was like, well, I have all these shorts on TikTok, so why don't I re-edit them to then also go into the new YouTube shorts? They usually, what they do is they reach a new audience. I can Every time I post shorts, I can see an uptick in new viewership because mm. they reach a different... Um, I think it's more younger people that watch mm -hmm. the shorts. And so I'm reaching a lot more of that audience. I like that. How do you batch your videos? Are you filming a bunch in one day and then slowly yeah. dripping them out? Yeah, because <laughs> the main reason is that I put on makeup and do my hair for my videos. And then sure. I put on lighting and camera and everything. And I'm like, I will not be doing this every week. So <laughs> yeah, every day. Yeah. <laughs> this is not happening. So um, yeah, I usually script them out beforehand and do my research. And then when I have three to five videos, I think the most I've done in a day was eight. And it's oh, too wow. much. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a good idea. It was way too much. And um, back then, I also did this thing where in between videos, like I would change my shirt and like do my hair differently. So it uh, would look like I didn't film them on the same day. I don't bother with that anymore. <laughs> it's like... Just deal with it. I record multiple videos in one go because mm -hmm. while I'm at it, it's just the most efficient way to go about it. I do that with all my PR anyway. Okay. How do you normally balance your, your normal composing work schedule with the YouTube stuff? Is there, Do you usually just kind of like do that like at the end of the week or how, how do you normally go about doing that? Yeah, that's that's been an ongoing problem because <laughs> when I'm on a movie, I'm on a movie. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that means... If I know the movie far enough in advance, I can kind of plan for it and just be like, okay, I will not have time to record any videos in those three weeks that I'm on this movie. So I'm going to have to record everything now, get it edited now, make all the thumbnails and all the stuff that goes into it mm -hmm. and already upload it so that while I'm on this movie, I don't have to do it. But sometimes I run out of content and then it happens that for a whole month, there's just not a video. That's just going to be the reality. I've said this on my channel a bunch of times too, where people were afraid I had stopped making videos. And I was just like, no, I've just been on a movie and that's my priority. The YouTube thing is just that's my literal a job, side yeah. thing. Yeah, I'm actually doing the job so that <laughs> I can then give you more knowledge on YouTube. Exactly. <laughs> from what yeah. I've learned on the job. So if if you want you know, a YouTuber who's also doing the job, then the reality is going to be that sometimes the job is going to be in the way. Mm -hmm. I mean, even with um, Junkie Excel's channel, he does it in seasons, you know, where he has the studio time and it's just released at like a TV season where he focuses on that for a bit. And then, you know, he's working on his movies again, because while you're mm -hmm. on a movie, you can't really do much else. All right, I got another question for you. When you feel overwhelmed or unfocused or you've lost your focus temporarily, what do you do? Um, I go to bed. I okay, guess. sleep. That's a good option. Calling a night. I'm, call I'm calling it a night. <laughs> it's clearly... Well, that's the nice thing about being your own boss, I guess. If I notice I'm so unproductive, I'm just sitting here slogging through something, I'm tired or unfocused. Because unfocused with me usually means I'm tired. Mm -hmm. um, or I just don't have the energy today for whatever reason. 
Yeah, I was watching. I... I was watching one of your videos, and you were saying that composers like to hold up no sleep as a trophy, and you're like, I don't get yeah. it. Why? And I loved that. I was like, Oh, damn. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's it's this weird culture. I mean, it's a very American culture as well. Hustle, but that hustle culture. <laughs> the hustle culture. Like, I don't sleep. I just work, and I'm like, okay. Mm. You do you, yep. but I'm on that twenty four seven grind, baby, all day. <laughs> well, and I've worked at a lister studios that are keeping bankers hours that are starting at like eight a.m. or something, and that leave at five p.m. So I'm just mm -hmm. like, okay, they can work on that blockbuster movie for Disney. It's possible. And they take weekends. Sure, there's crunch time at the end. You know, there's always crunch time at some point, but. Um, they don't make their teams work all that over time. They make their teams go home when they go home. They're like, you're not staying past me. You go, you have a life. Mm -hmm. So I'm just like, yeah. I mean, I've worked at studios that are the exact opposite, but they didn't necessarily get more done. It was just a lot more chit chat and a lot more hanging out in the hallways and a yeah. lot more unfocused work because yeah. everyone was tired from being at work all the time. Yeah, totally. So I was like, hmm. Yeah, it seems like there can be a lot more balance. You know, we all need some fresh air, some vitamin D. We're in Southern California. I mean, go outside. Go outside, yeah. yeah. You know, just, go listen to the birds, you know. Yeah, just do something. Go on a hike, bike at the beach. I mean, we have so many options mm -hmm. to, you know, regain focus. But yeah, sometimes you just need a good nap. <laughs> I like that. That's a good answer. That's what Einstein used to do. What is like every couple hours, he would take like a 10, 15 minute power nap or something. Yeah. He said if that was great for his brain. Yeah. If it, if, and if it's long-term, um, not being focused, it usually means I'm unhappy about something. Usually my career. Cause I cry about my career a lot, even though there's <laughs> not much to cry about, but you know, composers. Uh -huh. And that's usually when I either meet with my agent or we get on the phone and I just, cry about stuff and then she'll just be like calm down here's what you can do and then she will just give me like actionable items to steer my career into the direction that i wanted to go nice um, what, so. what are could you could you elaborate on that a little bit like some things that have sort of helped you whenever you're feeling like times are getting pretty hard or yeah i mean it happens a lot more lately even though i get a lot of movies I you know there are especially last year I got really close to a lot of dream projects a lot of larger studio things series and movies that I really really wanted and I was like in the last three or the last two mm -hmm. and then they did end up going with someone else and this whole rejection thing is just very difficult to deal with you keep pitching yeah. and pitching and you're that close and then they're like oh we're not giving you this one but next time you know, you're taking all the meetings in the world and you, you know, it's yeah. very difficult sometimes to let go of the idea that you almost had that thing that would have changed your life. Mm -hmm. And um, I think, yeah, I cry to, I have one friend who's in a similar position, so we cry to each other a lot <laughs> because, <laughs> because how, who else is going to understand, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who else understands the difficulty of this constant putting yourself out there and getting a no and putting yourself out there and getting a no, getting this close and then getting a no, you know, being crushed so many times. Yeah. Um, you need like at least one colleague that you can talk to about this where you're in the same position and you can just have a beer and just be like, this sucks. 
commiserate. <laughs> this is awful. Yeah. Yeah. Just cry together and just be like, this is an awful industry. I don't want it, but <laughs> I have nothing else. But um, this is what I'm good at. Yeah. Yeah. This is we, what I want, but right now I don't want it. <laughs> yeah. We talk a lot about, you know, the numbers game aspect of it, mm. of getting through all these no's to get to the yes, you know, yeah. and it, it takes time. It takes, and it takes effort and it takes a lot of a uh, emotional yeah. output. Well, and that's what my agent usually says. She's like, they all know your name. They've all yeah. met with you. They all know your name. You've pitched so often. Sometimes they even fast forward me into the final round because they know it's in my mm. wheelhouse. So she's like, you're really close to everything you want. Just, just a matter it's of an, time. It's a numbers game. All you need is one yes, and mm -hmm. then it's just more yeses that are going to follow. So you're just going to have to keep at it. But to go back to the actionable items, um, what she usually gives me is, she knows all the stuff that is currently in pre-production, of course, that executives have told her about. So she's like, well, I'm meeting with this person next week. They're in charge of this. So why don't you prepare me a reel that I can just bring to that meeting and give to them? And then I'm meeting with this person and they're gonna be working on that. And this studio has this in production. Why don't you prepare a reel for that? Why don't you go to IMDb Pro look at all the productions that you want to work on, send me a list, I will go after them, all we need is one yes, you know, I'll, I'll set up more meetings for you. And, you know, she will just let me know what, you know, people are looking for right now. And then I can just kind of steer my energy into that and also let her know what I want so she can go specifically after that mm -hmm. and just kind of, you know, make a, make a future plan. Because, you know, every year we get one step further. So she's like, all right, let's um, look at where we want to be this time next year. And then let's plan how we get there. How did you find your agent or did she find you? Uh, it was a recommendation. One of her clients is a colleague and she recommended me to her. Which is nice. kind of mostly, I think, how that happens. Or you get some big movie and then the agents come to you. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, can you share insight into your creative process, like how you typically start a project? Let's say you land a gig. What's the first thing that you do? First thing, I mean, first I need to speak to whoever is in charge creatively. That can be the producer or the director or uh, sometimes the executives. Um, yeah. I don't really decide who. Figuring um, out who the boss is. Yeah. Who's mm -hmm. my boss? Who pays me? <laughs> That's <laughs> usually the person I need to listen to. Unless they specify, we pay you, but this person is in charge. Uh, which has happened. Mm -hmm. um, and then having long conversations with that person. It depends on whether it's a first-time collaboration or not. If it's first-time collaboration, then I like to really spend a day with the person and just figure out what music do they like? What movies do they like? What composers do they like? What instruments do they like? You know, what's their creative vision? How do they see storytelling? All that stuff first. If it's a recurring collaboration, we need a lot less of that because I already know the answers to those questions. Um, then we really just need to talk about the specific project we're gonna do. Um, and then I usually go out and I, you know, take a good 10 days or something to find themes. If we're going for themes, um, sometimes we go for melodies and stuff and orchestra. So then I try to find that and produce it, produce a mock-up or a theme suite and stuff and send that over to them to see if this is in the vein of what we're looking for. 
sometimes if it's not theme based, I'm sitting down a lot more designing sounds, finding the right sounds, because we all have way too many synth sounds. Um, <laughs> just going through those and just like digging through the crayon boxes, trying I, to find all the cool oh colors. My God. Yeah, it's it takes such a long time. Um, or also sitting down with someone who can maybe design some custom patches from scratch. If I can't find something that I want that I can easily modify, then I'll sit down with a synth person and just be like, hey, I need something like this for this character, or there's this place that needs a sound. Then um, I can also have someone just design that from scratch. And then I'll kind of also write sort of thematic material or, you know, kind of give examples for the sound that I've been, you know, envisioning for this thing. And then mm -hmm. I send that over. And only when that is approved, that's kind of when the team comes in and I start to score the picture and we have spotting sessions and, you know, the, the whole actual craft begins. But mm -hmm. the creative process at the beginning is a lot more, here's the thing, do you like it? <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. Presenting giving them, objects. Giving them, giving them yeah. some sketches. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So what advice would you give to someone starting out? They want to do what you're doing. They want to compose for media. What advice? Obviously, we're going to say subscribe to the YouTube channel because that's <laughs> just a vault of knowledge. Hit that but. subscribe button. Hit the <laughs> notification bell. Stay notified. But what else would you give them if you were just like going to bullet point the list? First practice. That, that's the number that's one. Start. No matter. Yeah. First practice. Because... Treat this like it's your instrument. The same way a violin player who wants to be a professional violin player needs to practice every day, you're going to have to practice composition every day. Practice that, practice mock-ups, practice mixing, all of these things. You can watch all the YouTube videos in the world, but if you don't practice what you're seeing in the videos, you're not going to develop your ears and your skills, and then you're not going to get to where you want to go. Mm -hmm. And then once you get your skill level to an acceptable level, acceptable by your own standards, not someone else's standards, then I would, I would say start just putting stuff out there because we can all publish stuff now for free pretty much. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you can use like CD Baby or TuneCore or whatever they're called to just publish an album or, you know, write sample library demos, maybe write demos for the libraries you already own, send them to the developers and see if totally. they want to send you a new product and have you write another demo. I mean, that's how I got, I think that's how I got the Klaus collaboration, for example. It was my old CineSamples demos that I had done mm -hmm. years before that. He was buying some products and saw my demo and then was like, oh, you should contact this person. This music sounds good. It's amazing. You know? I'm just like, and it was even, it wasn't even for the, um, it was for like Cine Symphony Lite. So it mm -hmm. wasn't even a full library. It was just like one of those four patch libraries. Mm -hmm. um, but he was like, this sounds good. Let's invite her over and have a chat, you know? So you never know, but you have to put yourself out there. You have to yes. make stuff and put it out there for people to find you. And then eventually, sometimes it takes years for the right people to find you, but you know, eventually it, I think when I think about the people that I've hired, they were mostly people that were putting stuff out there or that were recommended to me through mm -hmm. other people who found them like-minded people. So, and they're already doing the work. One of the things yeah. that you said in a video is you kind of hit a wall when you find out what the job actually is. And you were saying like, people have this romantic notion of the composer who's 
this muse and like constantly writing, scribbling things down. And you're like, the job is actually sending emails and like, like working in the mud of music. And then you were also talking about how it's a pragmatic art. So (laughs) if you want to write music for the art of it, then go write a concert composition. Which a lot of film composers are doing right now. I mean, a lot Mm -hmm. of them are writing a ballet or a choir suite or a symphony. Like some of them are taking a whole year off or they're going on tour because they want to perform. You know, it's like... Danny Elfman's at Coachella right now. Yeah. And Hans is on tour overseas right now. I mean, um, John Powell, I think, just wrote another concert work, you know, his... I think his second or third concert work. So just because you're doing film music doesn't mean you can't also create art for yourself or for Mm -hmm. the concert hall on the side. But I think there needs to be, it's a different mindset, you know? And and one is work for hire, where you create something that someone else commissioned and requested very specifically for another vision. And then one is supposed to stand on its own and you can do whatever you want. So figure out which one you want, or maybe you want both, then do both. I mean, that's fine too. Yeah. Playing, like performing music or writing music to the scene to make the scene better is completely different than having standalone music. Yeah. Like I'm a big fan of uh, Danny Elfman's solo stuff. Like I got, was it 1111 he came out with recently? Yeah. Like a violin concerto. And then he also came out with another album. I can't remember if it was like Serenata Schizophrenia or Schizophrenia Serenata. And it's really cool because you can totally hear Elfman in it. But it's he's like, you know, when I was writing these, I can it wasn't to a picture where like, you know, maybe you want to keep an idea going or you're like, man, this is really cool. But you have to change it to make it fit with the picture. Yeah. And it's really cool to to not have that barrier anymore and or that sort of like, all right, well, I can only work up until this cut scene. All right, now it's done versus like, man, like be really cool to like expand on that or take it somewhere else maybe you can do it later on in the film but i think when you're just kind of writing for art sake not for for work that's when you know it's like some some people need that you know to really kind of keep that love for it going or else it's just now it's just work you know yeah it it gets it gets a little restrictive especially form wise that's mm-hmm. why yes. I think a lot of composers also, for the most part, the most creative thing is writing the theme suite because you're not writing that to picture. So mm-hmm. you can just freely expand on your ideas. Usually that's the thing that ends up in the end credits as well. But the moment you score a picture, form is already, the editor has already decided what the form is. So how long you can keep an idea going or where you go with the music is entirely out of your uh, control. So... Yeah. yeah right. The other question is, how good at, are you at group projects? Because it's a huge group project yeah. <laughs> to get it done. Yeah. Do you have a personal project that you're excited about right now? Well, I consider my YouTube channel a personal project. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that that is, um, and and that is you know my refreshing thing to me because that is the one where I I decide what I say, I decide what it looks like, I decide the music that goes on there. Um, and nobody can tell me no. I decide when I post what I post and mm-hmm. nobody can stop me. <laughs> nice. So that's that's kind of, I enjoy that kind of freedom immensely, even though it's more educational and like I do my making offs, but that's kind of the the idea behind it. It's, yeah, 
It's the freedom of just having a platform where I get to decide and not someone else. For for your music, like when you're not working on project, is there any kind of music that you like to write just for fun for yourself or any types of other music that you listen to that's not orchestral or or film kind of music or or anything? Or is any other like instruments you play? Yeah, the stuff that you just like to enjoy listening to on your own or writing. Yeah, I mean, what I have done during the pandemic still have one more to go actually um is collaborations with friends um especially musicians that were out of work and wanted to showcase their work especially their remote recording i was like well i'm gonna do an orchestral arrangement of this thing maybe we can have you play on it and then make a video and then put it on my youtube channel so more people can see it so that was one of the things i did um i'm learning new instruments currently flutes um a lot of flutes Kept the flutes from the childhood. That's good. <laughs> yeah, I well, I got this Irish film, or it wasn't Irish. It was like taking place in Cornwall. Okay. And I was like, well, let's get some Irish whistles because I think they're from that area originally. So I learned to play Irish whistles, and then now I'm learning. I just got an ocarina and started wow. learning that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I'm gonna keep the flutes going for a while, and then I'll probably change to like. I also play guitar and ukulele, so I'll probably add mandolin to that at some point and stuff like that. Just more instruments so I can mm -hmm. have more fun playing because I kind of forgot about that quite a bit in mm -hmm. the early years of my career. So now I kind of want to get back more into, you know, how can I give things more of a twist? How can I get away from just using orchestral samples and synthesizers and actually add something that is more me and that mm -hmm. not everybody has? So that's been a thing. And practicing new production styles, I'm doing that in between as well. Um, I'm learning a lot from the Isotope website. They have this learn tab with all kinds of different production videos and uh, blogs and stuff. And there are some YouTube channels that I watch where I'm like, huh, I wonder how you produce this style. And then I just start watching it and practice that a little bit. Or maybe there are new orchestration techniques I want to learn, you know, analyze some scores. Um, it's usually born out of sometimes when I'm on a project, I get a lot of pitches in from my agent and it's stuff that I don't have. So I can't really participate in the pitch because I can't make a reel because mm. it's in a style that I just don't have any music in. And if I'm on a project, sometimes I just don't have the time to write brand new stuff. So sometimes I just remember that and just go, hey, we had like three pitches come in where they wanted this type of style. So why don't I use the time in between these projects now to learn how to do that and maybe write a couple demos, just like short one minute pieces in that. So next time this comes up, I actually have a reel that I can submit. Yeah, That's smart. If they're, hitting, if they're hitting you up like, hey, we need some you know, some hard hit and dubstep. dubstep. Yeah. yeah. You, like, already, you already uh... knew, it was, you knew it was coming. But yeah, like if you're like, well, that's not really in my wheelhouse. I don't really do like drum and bass or, you know, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's like, Hip well, it's it's kind of cool to, yeah, to know that sort of stuff. I mean, that like Brian Tyler is probably one of those composers who kind of does everything. Like he, you know, super, you know, he plays piano, guitar like you'll see him in a studio he's just got all these different instruments like doing like like with the fast and furious stuff he's got like electronic and you know he does dance music and it's it's cool to see that and it's kind of inspiring like oh you know like maybe i should just kind of like flex my creative wheelhouse a bit and 
you know, be able to just jump in because I think that's try new things. Yeah, especially being a composer these days, it's like the more versatile. I mean, everyone has their, their thing. Yeah, but it's it's Strength. it's definitely cool. Yeah, it's cool to build on that. So when whenever those things happen, so that that's you know that's a a great thing. Because I was actually going to ask you that too. Like, is there any sort of like styles or things that you wanted to work on that aren't really your strong suit? You know, like 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 can you elaborate on some of the projects that maybe you had to work on or genres? Yeah, I mean, originally I was mostly hired just for orchestra stuff for the old fashioned you know, melodies, counter melodies. Mm. And, and then um, I started doing studio pitches and they all wanted this golden, uh, uh, I don't remember what they called it, but to them, it's like the golden combo um, when someone can do score, but also songs, especially mm. for kids uh-huh. entertainment, because they always need songs in kids entertainment. So I was like, okay, so on all the movies that I'm going to do, this was like 2020, 2021. I was like, I will offer to the production to just produce a song, a title song, just so I can make a reel by the end of it with songs. And so, yeah, I started to just, um, one of my team members is um, a very good song producer. So I started to learn from him and I was just like, all right, I can, I can write lyrics, sort of. I can write a melody, but let's get together with an actual singer songwriter and a song producer. And then I'm just going to learn how to produce different types of songs, basically. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, by the end of that year, I had like, you know, 10 different songs that I could put on a reel in all kinds of genres and with all kinds of different um, emotions. And then the same thing that happened last year was um, I started to get rom-coms and Mm. dramas that needed to be really minimal like they were a lot more indie so it was a lot more well it's just going to be like three or four instruments which i hadn't really done so writing in a very minimal style and that's when i started learning you know more flutes and when i started using my vocals a lot more because i was like well what am i gonna do (laughs) if i can't use they don't want woodwinds or brass they want strings used very minimally because strings can get very bombastic very Mm -hmm. quickly so i was like well so we're left with what piano guitar drums bass (laughs) drums bass and maybe a string quartet and soloists i guess Mm -hmm. And so I had to learn how to do very minimalistic music all of a sudden. And I started also just buying very different products all of a sudden. I wasn't buying orchestral sample libraries anymore. It was all this super random stuff (laughs) that all of a sudden I was like, hmm, maybe I need this little quirky thing that I can use for this Mm rom-com, you know? And I started scoring horror movies as well. And for that... One of my long-term fears were synthesizers because I just could not... See, the thing is when you have orchestra, you have a very particular playground. You have specific instruments that you can enhance, but for the most part, you know what you have. The instruments have a certain range. They have a certain sound. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a very, you know, square thing, right? Yeah, familiar. It's very structured in in what you can use it it for and all that. Exactly. But synthesizers always scared me a little bit because I was like, there are no limits. Like you can (laughs) do anything. And there's just so much that I was like, this is so scary. There's no guideline to this. There's because there's no right. There's no wrong. It's just it just is. 
And so I took this horror movie. This was one through Klaus. And I was like, all right, this entire soundtrack has to be synthesizers and electric guitars. Wow. And then the classical choir on top and some pipe organ and just the weirdest combo, mm -hmm. basically. But 90% of, of it is synthesizers. So I was like, okay. So I, since I knew this movie was coming up, I spent the entire winter before that just watching tutorials and like meeting up with people that I knew know stuff about this just to answer questions. And I'm not an expert in it, but at least it got to a point where I was like, okay, now I sort of know how to use Zebra, I guess, mm -hmm. which apparently is also one of the more difficult ones to begin with. <laughs> so yeah, I started yes. with... I started with one of the most confusing ones. Congratulations. Nice. Um, not, would not recommend starting with Zebra. Maybe start with like Serum or something. It's a much more straightforward thing. And yeah, I started to, you know, buy all the spectrosonic stuff and then going through every Omnisphere patch on the planet and just kind of looking, okay, what's in here? How does this work? Going through Trillion and Trillion has the most amazing... Um, modular synth bases in there okay. and so i spent months just like going through stuff and trying to figure out okay how does this work how does that work what happens when i turn this button what happens when i layer this and i still feel like i know nothing but it got to the point where i felt confident that maybe i could do this movie and it was a 90-minute synth score, and by wow. the end of it, I was like, okay, now I'm comfortable with it. I still know nothing, because there's still no rules, which is very off-putting. But yeah, I now feel like I know how to use this and how to combine this, how to mix it as well, because that's such a different thing too. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, my entire template was not made for that. My template is made for orchestral music, hybrid at best. All of my mixing, all of my tools were just set up for that and not for synthesizers. My entire VE Pro template, I could just like trash for this. It was just sitting there. It was not touched. Usually don't load stuff locally onto my host computer that much. And then, you know, my processor was... <laughs> was starting to fry because it was like we don't do this normally like what so are we tracks yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. so many omnisphere patches why are we doing this this is not <laughs> <laughs> we we do contact <laughs> you know so yeah. yeah it was a very different experience and um yeah all of a sudden i really fell in love with that genre and doing that kind of stuff so i actually took Right after that, I took another horror movie because I was like, I want to do more of this. This is fun. It's gritty. It's dark. It's ugly. It's not my usual pretty kids entertainment with orchestra. That's so great I didn't to know. stretch yourself. Yeah. 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 I didn't know I was going to like that. I thought I'd like the rom-coms more than the horror. And it was the exact opposite. <laughs> Craig loves horror. Oh yeah, I, it's funny. It's like most like I I'd, I'd never like went to school for orchestral music. Whenever I do any kind of orchestral breakdown stuff, I, I I know I'll just probably get ripped by like all the all the people who know what they're talking about and terminologies and stuff. But yeah, like the whole, I feel like with horror, like it's my background's more like in the metal sort of stuff. So it's like that same thing. Like there really are no rules, and you can kind of like go at it. Like the whole point is experiment. To, yeah, the whole point is to you know make what you're seeing even scarier than. You know than what it is so it's like you can bust out all the crazy creepy sounds and all that stuff so 
it's really cool because like while while I think there are a lot of tropes that people fall into with certain genres like horror or even like rom-coms, you know, you get the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, just a little pizzicato patch like all right it's like all right everyone's done that like what are you gonna do that separates this from everyone else like what is like what is scary too you know when it comes to sounds like it could be anything it's really just uh kind of like with the synth the synth thing sky's the limit how deep do you want to go down the rabbit hole you know that's the that's the question you got to ask yourself yeah very much and i mean i also started to use a lot more like sound toys stuff and you know, all the fun tools that you don't really get to use that much when you do orchestral stuff. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I was like, what happens if I use my voice mm. and I put this on there and then I put shimmer on there and then I put this on there? What happens? You know, just kind of it's more exploration with orchestra. I can predict what's going to happen. And mm -hmm. so it's a little more I don't want to say boring because <laughs> orchestra is not boring, but much more predictable in the outcome for me than me just sitting there going, oh, there's like a creepy ghost on screen. What if I did this thing and then had this whole signal chain on there? Yeah, like what does you know? that sound like? And you're like creating yeah. this this thing versus like, because I think yeah. with like the orchestra stuff, it's more of like, you know what you know what it is? It's just the time consuming part of making it happen. Okay, you want it to sound yeah. like this. You want to get the <laughs> velocities right to, you know, convey the sound you have in your head but yeah, yeah i think cc11 going yeah get that cc11 going you know but yeah like like <laughs> the adding the effects like that's where it, it starts to make it more fun and, and creative because you're you're just exploring these different things oh what if i turn this all the way up you know what if i filter this out or you know creating yeah. that sound and like making what you see kind of come to life from just exploring different plugins or, yeah. or sounds like i think that that's the stuff that makes it fun it's also it's a lot more sculpting i think when mm. i get a scene and it's it's also usually longer scenes you know when I, when i do animation ev everything happens all at once every 10 seconds you got to switch it up so and fast. hit that other thing mm -hmm. and with horror i also found that sometimes you get these really nice 5 minute sequences and you can just sculpt the entire sequence with such subtleties and just like bringing in the different frequencies here and there and just kind of creating this carpet that is very interesting and colorful mm -hmm. it's probably less interesting to listen to as a if you listen to a soundtrack but I, it's more interesting for me to create actually because yeah. you're actually sculpting something from nothing instead of loading up your sample libraries and going well so we're starting with an e here we go again <laughs> here we go <laughs> yeah i think i think with that stuff um it, it's cool because you can like layer so many different things and, and it's like I like with horror it's really easy to know when a horror score is bad like if you don't notice it and you're just like frozen and watching it you're like oh man like you're you're not like if you don't really notice the music I've always heard people say like if you don't really notice the music yeah. the composer did their job because they're like guiding you along versus like you know when you watch like a maybe more lower budget horror movies or ones that you know aren't you know big productions and you know when it's bad when there's just like just dun, dun, like just like stabs <laughs> like every little corner they go in a corner dun, you're just like oh my god yeah. like this is horrible it just it, it almost like takes you out of it like maybe for other yeah. people who don't do any kind of music related type things or 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 into scoring or anything they're probably like they're probably getting scared but it's really easy to to tell when it's like oh god this is so bad well and it's yeah, such a genre where you are also so where you can get so creative and really give it your own stamp. Mm -hmm. I 
the last orchestral score I did last year was The Klaus Family 2 for Netflix. And I sat down before that and I was like, how am I going to make this different from the first one? We need mm. a couple of new themes, but how am I going to... Because that's something that I've definitely started to develop over the last year and specifically with the horror thing where I was like, well, I want this to be mine. So how can I take a purely orchestral score and still make it mine? And so that's when I um, started to learn the tenor recorder and was like, well, back to the roots. Um, Taking a best. And, and, and the entire score is built around, um, or not the entire score, but a large portion of it is built around the tenor recorder with the orchestra. So at least I try to spice up the orchestra to, you know, give it, to, to not make it another orchestral thing, you know, yeah. another melodic orchestral score that we've kind of heard before. Because mm -hmm. that's also something that I've probably learned a lot from pitching last year. Whenever I lost a pitch, even though I was in the final round, they would go for the person that just did something crazier. Like there was nothing <laughs> wrong with my music, but someone else did something that just stood out. They used a kazoo or something. And they were like, well, we go with the person who was more creative. Be and more memorable. Like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, be more memorable. It's like talking about David Cadell, you know? Yeah. Look what happened with him. Perfect totally. example. Like he's the first person that pops in my head because there was such big controversy over that whole thing. And it's because he just was having fun and just wanted to do something different. It's like, you know, everyone's going to kind of go for a specific thing. And he was just having fun with it. And, you know, like I've, I've had the chance to meet and hang out with the guy. He's super nice. And it's just like, how can anyone say anything bad about this guy? You know, he's just having fun and like, yeah. just, hey, why not? And, and he won. It's like, and it's really cool that he was just doing that same thing. Like whenever you kind of know, like everyone's going to go for this, like maybe I should just zig when they zag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I was glad when he won and I saw all that negativity. I was not even going to listen to the winning entry because I was absolutely not interested in any of this. Mm -hmm. So I was, just, I wasn't really paying attention. And then all that negativity popped up and I was like, Okay, maybe I should listen now that everyone's so upset. Yeah, you're about like, what's it? the big deal with this? What's going like, on? All the haters literally achieved the opposite because David got so much attention mm -hmm, because yep. of the haters that everyone who would not have paid attention to it was like, well, now I need to check it out to see if it's really that awful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you're absolutely right. Yeah. Thankfully, he was already, you know, like older because then I, I connected with him. I was like, oh, thank God. So he's he's not like a student or a recent graduate because that would be very difficult to deal with. And he was like, no, no, I've been working in this industry for a while <laughs> as a video editor. So I'm not phased by that. I'm just surprised. And I'm like, yeah, composers are just little bitches. So just wel welcome <laughs> wow. to our community. You're here, folks. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's like, it's just, it's crazy because like, I remember when he posted his like reaction video thing, like later on, like sort of like documenting, like what his reaction was like, you know, he's like, oh, wow. Oh, here's the first, the first winner, you know, like, all right, you know, like it's probably not going to be me. And then it was, he's like, let me see the comments. And then he like looks over and he's like, oh, that's not very nice. Oh, <laughs> why would you say that? It's just like, it, it's, it's crazy, man. But it's, we, that's so cool. That we're still joking about the JJ Abrams thing. Cause Anyone oh, yeah, who works like, in this industry, yeah, and everyone who works on these movies knows exactly that most people do not get to interface with the people in charge. I mean, it's only mm. the department heads. So if you were someone on a production, that doesn't mean that you actually were 
in a room with this person and that this person knows you personally. Yeah, like they're hanging out not at the all. bar afterward yeah. or something. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> we're not we're not hanging out. So <laughs> we still keep joking about it even even today when we're working on a project like Oh man, well maybe you can ask your friend JJ if All you right. can. He's help like, oh, I'll, be right back. I'll be right back. JJ's <laughs> calling me right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, gotta come back. That's awesome. All right. I got a couple more questions for you and then we can wrap this thing up. Um, the first one is do you have a best recent purchase under a hundred dollars? It can be a plug-in, it can be a meal, <laughs> so it can be uh, some new toy, or uh, it could be a flute. It was it was a flute. Let me it's right here. It was this ocarina. Oh, that's, <laughs> I think that's beautiful. Eighty dollars cool. or something. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess that was oh, the latest. It. How many notes does it play? Um, uh, all of them. Apparently, okay. It's a chromatic one. Um, oh, that's cool. I think it can do two octaves, maybe, maybe. Wow. Not that I can play it very well yet, but you know. <laughs> I would just want to get in to start learning Zelda themes. Yes, <laughs> all the Zelda. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite YouTube channel or podcast or TV show at the moment? A YouTube channel I watch a lot lately is In the Mix. I don't know if oh, you yeah. guys know that one. Yep, I think I do. his name is Michael Wynn or something. And um, every he talks time like I this need in the microphone. Yes, he's very quiet and very he has an accent. Very British. Yeah, he's yeah. British. Yeah. He's, I oh, think he's Scottish, isn't he? Delightful. He's great. <laughs> he's great. He's very Whenever I need to have some mixing knowledge or mastering knowledge, that's the channel I go to because he is so calm and collected and non-sensational and just straight to the point, gives you the concept overview, explains everything to you and then demonstrates it as well. So I was like, this is a really good channel to learn mixing. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's awesome. You ever, yeah. Do you ever watch Venus Theory? You ever seen any of his stuff? I have, I have. I just watch his videos just because his voice is like, hey, <laughs> a really deep voice. Like I'm just like, man, you should just be doing voiceovers. I also love what's his name? The the guy who always does the Cubase videos. Um, oh, Dom? Yes. Dom Segalis? <laughs> yeah, that guy, like, he's just fun to watch. And he's such a badass, man. Like he he's just like just watching him play stuff out. I'm just like, man, I wish yeah. I could do that. You know, I try to like whenever yeah. I'm doing walkthroughs, I, I try to like play his stuff is you know with the range that i have but yeah he's just so fun to watch and he's so animated just yeah he is but also he always shows stuff about cubase and i'm like wait cubase can do that <laughs> i didn't know i've been using cubase for so many years now i've done so many hours of music with it and every time i watch a video by dom i'm like mm -hmm. what that's how that works. I could have saved hours of my time just knowing this one feature. I'm just like, how do Why you remember all those features too? It's like, I know. Like, I, I know. have to use Metagrid to like remember all these key commands for things that I do. And he's just like, oh, yeah. And if you go into this, like, but I mean, he's just like, if he just remembers all that stuff, man. Well, I'm also someone who just doesn't question buttons in the DAW unless I need them. Mm -hmm. So I'm just someone who's like, all right, now I know what I need to know. And then. <laughs> I just don't question things. And no, then I see a video. To. Yeah. And then I see a video by him and he's like, by the way, if you need to ever do this, you can go into the pencil tool and draw the automation right into the region. I was like, you can? Yeah. Like, oh, you, can <laughs> the, you can use the transform selector and just drag across it. And then you just take the whole thing and bring it down. Like, what? I've been yeah, doing it manually for years. What's wrong with me? I know. I'm like, and I'm sitting here with a fader like, oh. Yeah. yeah. If you want to learn about Cubase, man, that guy. 
Yeah. That guy, he knows his stuff. All right. The final question is, what goals do you see yourself achieving in the next couple of years or what is next for you? Um, this year, Christmas movies. I'm doing nice. Christmas movie next month. Oh, wow. Very Start, early. Starting early. Yep. Starting yeah. early. This you're like, year. you're like Target and Walmart. You're getting ready for Christmas <laughs> way early. <laughs> I know my May is going to be filled with sleigh bells. Oh yeah. Um, and my September as well. Cause then we're working on the Klaus family three for Netflix again. It's going to be the last one. Um, and a war drama is in the works. A war, Great, war cool. one drama that is shooting hopefully this year. It's been delayed a bit through mm. COVID. So that's happening. Um, I'll just continue working on my YouTube channel in between and sign up for whatever else people want to have me for. Keep pitching endlessly and mm -hmm. collecting a thousand more no's. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, if I could choose what's going to happen with my career, the goal for me is to work on studio production specifically. Like I would love to work on a Star Wars property or Marvel or oh, you yeah. know, those things. I'm, I'm a nerd for fantasy and science fiction. So any of that that is in the works for any studio would be lovely but if i've learned anything over the past two years it's that there's very little control over that all you can do is just keep pitching and keep putting yourself out there and have your agent or manager take mm -hmm. all the meetings in the world and shout yeah. your name into the room until someone goes all right <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah, it's like you said, plant plant those seeds and just keep putting yourself out there. And yeah. you know, it's like just because one one no happens, next thing you know, a few months later, someone's like, Hey, like we remember you and you'd be perfect for this. So it's like putting things into the universe and just keeping things in motion, like good things are bound to happen. And I definitely can see you doing projects like that in the future. So yeah, and yeah. something I like to say is that life is long and you, we have long careers. You know, you're going to be doing this for another 50 years, potentially, if you want to be. And so uh, it's just a matter of time. But that's very wise. <laughs> that's wise one soul. of the things that's one of the things that my manager needs to remind me of, because we also have this <laughs> habit of like comparing ourselves to other people. And, you know, uh, why is this person there already? And I'm not. And, you know. This whole, you know, their journey isn't my journey, and this is a very long game. And even if it doesn't happen this year or next year or five years from now, chill. Just enjoy the journey and just be grateful that mm -hmm. that you are where you are and that you get to make a living off of this. Because, I mean, 10 years ago, I was just graduating. I, I just came here 10 years ago. I wasn't even, wow. I hadn't even graduated yet. So I'm like, I should be more grateful that... I get to do this for a living and do this full time for a living that I don't have to assist anymore, that I can just, you know, do what I love to do in sunny California. Mm -hmm. yeah. What do yeah. I even have to complain about? <laughs> yeah. You just like got to reflect on the wins, you know, whenever, yeah. whenever there's times of self doubt, you just got to look back and kind of reflect on your journey and you'll have those instant moments of gratitude because you're like, yeah. wow, like when I was first starting, I was here and now I'm doing this. And it's just the fact that you can kind of see that timeline. Obviously, there's just there's no, nowhere else to go but up as long as you just keep doing your thing. So always reflect yeah. back on the wins on, on times of self-doubt. Get a tattoo of that. And this was so much fun. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for coming on. And uh, everyone should go subscribe to the YouTube channel. It is a vault of knowledge. If you're in composing for media at any level, you should subscribe. I've learned some stuff on there. And we will have to have you back on in a couple of years when you're doing Star Wars films. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> All right. Craig, catch you next week. All right, Nathan. Thank you again. 
Yeah, thanks, Anne. It's great. This is awesome. Mm-hmm.